0: Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Those are the first seven verses of Psalm 97, which along with Psalm 99 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, September the 28th, 2021. Thanks for listening Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing to look at um, history of the kings of Judah and um Israel as well, although Israel has ceased to exist, that northern kingdom, uh, as of yesterday's lessons. So today we've got Second Chronicles 29, the first three verses of that chapter, and then skip forward to chapter 30, the first 27 verses there, still continuing in the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church, chapter 7, verses 32 to 40, and in Matthew's gospel, the seventh chapter, the first 12 verses got a long reading today <laughs> in the uh, Chronicles. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. It's good to hear that after so many times when we, we read exactly the opposite of that. It's nice to hear that somebody is doing things right in the eyes of the lord and so in the first year of his reign as soon as he got there in the first month he opened the doors of the house of the lord and repaired them so we're talking about the first month of the year and and what we've got is a situation where the there had been idol worship going on in jerusalem and and so the priests had not been doing their appointed duties because the people weren't coming and so they they prepared and repaired the house of the Lord. And then he sent to all Israel, the northern kingdom, and to Judah, and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, those who were on the other side of the Jordan, that they should come to the house of the Lord at, Israel, at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they couldn't keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem, and the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. Now Passover is intended to begin on the 14th day of the first month of the year. There are some um, provisions made where it could be held a little later if you were unwell or unable to attend At that time, there's no provision in the law anywhere to postpone it for a month. There's a provision to postpone it for another year. But Hezekiah wanted to get his kingship off to the right start and wanted to submit it all to the Lord and wanted to make sure that this was the most important thing so hezekiah and the assembly came together and said let's go ahead and have this anyway even though it's late let's go ahead and do this thing because it's it's more important keeping the passover is more important than maintaining strict adherence to the law of when it has to occur it, the, the people the, the people and the priesthood were not prepared to celebrate at the time appointed, because they had let it lapse and let it become lax, the observ- observance of the worship of the festivals. So they postponed it a month, and then they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, and that's a, a metonymy for uh, Israel, that the, the length and breadth of the land from Beersheba to Dan, that the people shall... Come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. And this would be the first Passover kept by the entire nation since the division of the kingdoms at the time of Solomon. Couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes as the king had commanded them, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hands of the kings of, the, of Assyria which is, it is to say that this is mostly sent to that northern kingdom, those survivors, the remnant there. It says, don't be like your fathers and brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of your fathers, so that they made them a desolation, as you see. In other words, your kingdom has fallen, and so don't be like those who, who led the nation into that ruin. Don't be stiff-necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary which he has consecrated forever. In other words, walk away from the places of worship you created up there in the north and come to the place where God set his glory and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So they went from city to city. Throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked at them. However, there were some, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem, but the vast majority did not. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. So It's right. What they're doing is right. It's been blessed by God. Many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem, which had nothing to do with the worship of Yahweh. It's all idols. And all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the brook Kidron. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. should have been the first month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed so that they consecrated themselves and brought offerings into the house of the Lord. They were ashamed because they weren't able to keep the feast at the appointed time. They took their accustomed posts out according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests threw the blood that they received from the hand of the Levites. There were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. You couldn't even slaughter the lamb appropriately if you weren't consecrated. And the people had fallen so far out of the habit. Nobody even does this for a majority of the people. Many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. Because Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rule of cleanness. So in other words, not only did they move it out in time, they also made provision for those who had not done the work of consecrating themselves in advance. They allowed them to have the Passover anyway, because the Passover, the celebration, the seeking after God was the most important thing, not the ritual and the ceremony. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day singing with all their might to the Lord Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of the Lord so they ate the food of the festival for seven days sacrificing peace offerings giving thanks to the Lord the God of their fathers then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days so they kept it for another seven days with gladness they've abandoned every Else to the worship of the Lord. Can you do that? Is that really something people can do? I mean, that's exactly what's happening here. They're setting first things first, and then we're told that Hezekiah gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offering, the princes gave a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep, and the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites, the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites rose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. God has told them again and again through the prophets that this is the most important thing. The most important thing is worshiping him, turning their hearts away from everything else and worshiping him. He's not worried about all that other stuff. He's worried primarily about their hearts. And it's it's not because he's selfish. It's not because it's best for them. It's best for them if they turn their hearts to him and follow his law. In the gospel today, Jesus begins with, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to judge. It just means we need to be really careful. We need, we need to be careful about judging our brothers and sisters because that, that same standard of judgment will be meted out to us. Judgment is not the primary thing. A world that's strictly judgment doesn't exist. To be honest with you, it won't exist very long and there'll be no eternity because strict judgment condemns every single one of us. It convicts and condemns us at the same time. There's grace that's necessary, and that's what Jesus is calling us to, that, that we're called to grace. And, and here's how I know that. He says, Who, why do you see the speck in your own in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? So none of us are fit truly to judge because we have sin in our own lives. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, and then you'll be uh, see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what's holy, and don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. It's important that we're careful with, with what we say. Um, it doesn't mean... That we fail to share the gospel. It's not that at all, but but the consolations and the visitations and the all the other things that that come from God, we need to make sure that, that we share those with people who can appreciate those things, not the people who would who would laugh us to scorn and and turn those things into something completely different. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. We've got to be bold in approaching the throne. That's exactly what Jesus is saying there. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to to those who ask of him. And so it's a matter of being bold, but it's also a matter of being bold and coming before the throne of grace, before before the throne of a father who is a better father than we can ever be or better than we can ever conceive of. And so Jesus implores us to come and seek but it's, it's a matter still of going back to yesterday's lesson. Remember when Jesus talked about, don't be anxious about anything, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things that you're anxious about will be added to you. It's important that what we're seeking, what we're asking, will be the things that God wants to give us. They're the things that, that are of himself. So we, what we want is what the people wanted there in Jerusalem during the time of Hezekiah. We want him. If we want Him, if He is our chief desire, our greatest good, then we'll receive those things from Him that we ask. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says the same. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not a sin. But whoever's firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined that it, this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he'll do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Now, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married and to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. In other words, marry another believer. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think this, I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul's advice here because he would call it advice he said look the lord didn't tell me to tell you this but i believe this is right i believe that i'm right on these things i have the spirit of god and so i'm going to tell you what i believe to be true and so what he's telling him that he believes to be true is is that time is short and therefore it's better if you just focus everything you have on the lord rather than worrying about dating and getting engaged and getting married and all those kinds of things this way you're free to serve the lord completely, rather than to be concerned about all these other things. Now, that, if you're—well, he believes time is short, right? But even if not, would the advice still hold? And the answer is yes. The advice would still hold. It would be best for all of us in this way. Now, that being said, we can look and see that that sometimes— The problem becomes, why is the person remaining single and and, and what is actually going on? But this is all contingent, Paul says, on desire being under control. And so as long as that's the case, Paul said it's best for you not to get married because that way you can focus all your attention on the things that are the Lord's like I do. Paul's commending his way of life because it frees him up from all those other worldly cares in order to just serve the Lord. He can go on these missionary journeys. He can spend long periods of time in different places, and he's free of the encumbrance of worrying about anything else. He's not saying it's right or wrong. It's just he says, I think this is, a, this is the best way. But he, but he doesn't tell people they can't because what he says is, he who marries his betrothed does well and He refrains from marriage. Will do even better. <laughs> but well is okay. I mean, it, it's it's not a matter of saying you've sinned in any shape, form, or fashion if you don't uh, remain single. But but the goal in all three of these lessons today, the goal is one and it's singular, and that is that it, in in all things, the primary thing is the worship, the adoration, the love of God, and the seeking after Him in all things and if we do those things then we do really well and we do exactly as he commanded and commended